Have you ever considered what, uh, what you would have if you didn't know what other people had? I've considered that. Have, have you not ever considered that? What you would have if, if you didn't know what other people had? I wonder how much influence what you own and what you have influences me on what I own and what I have. I wonder sometimes what, what I, I would want if I didn't already know what you had. I wonder how much money I would have saved if I didn't know how much you had spent yours on. I wonder sometimes how much I would have given away to those who have less than I have if I didn't know how much those who have more than me had. You know? The problem is, I know too much. I know too much about what others have that I don't. Are you like that? We've been talking about guardrails. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a series that is completely developed by Andy Stanley. And a series that I think has been so, so helpful for me. I wanted to pass it on to you. But in regards to guardrails, since the scripture talks so much about money, it seems we need to talk about it. And since the appetite for stuff seems rather universal, it seems that maybe we would be served well to have some guardrails in this area. So today, I want to talk about some financial guardrails. If, you, if you've been with us the last four weeks, you probably have this memorized by now. But if you haven't, a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. You don't find guardrails in the danger zone, but inside the safety zone. They are, they are designed to minimize damage. They are there to direct us and to protect us. And as it is on the highway, so it is in life. Our greatest regrets financially or, or, or relationally in marriage or, or morally, professionally, our greatest regrets in life could have been avoided if we would have had some guardrails in life. A life guardrail is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. They're, they're like guardrails in that we, we personally set them up, keeping us from drifting into these areas that are dangerous areas of life that will lead to regret. And when, when something happens where, uh, where the rule that has been actualized in my life, uh, we come up against that, you know, there are alarms that go off in my head and my soul that says, you're getting too close to the edge, back away, this is dangerous, this is unwise to go any further. The point of the guardrails is to wake us up while we're still in the place of safety so we don't continue on the path to regret and hurt ourselves and other people. So today, let's talk about financial guardrails. 
In my ministry, it, it seems that most people's regrets seem to center around either relationships or finances. And if the regret centers around finances, it almost always affects relationships. We talked about relationships the last two weeks. Today, let's talk about finances. And as soon as I say, let's talk about money, <laughs> I know some of you are like stiff-arming me right now. Like, you know, okay, the preacher's talking about money. Um, you know, the attitude generally is not, oh, goody, 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 let's talk about money today. We're at church and we're going we're gonna to talk about money. That's generally not the attitude. And I get that. And I, I understand that. But I, I think a lot of that comes from this, this word on the street that churches are just out for your money. And let me assure you that that is not the case. It, it simply is not. The, at least it's not the case for us here at Restoration Church. Okay? Here's the deal. Jesus can get by just fine without your money. In fact, God got by a long, 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 long time without your money. That's not the issue, okay? The, the issue is not money. He doesn't need your money. So we got to understand, this is not something that he wants from you. This is something he wants for you. That's why we talk about this. When we talk about financial guardrails, we, we could talk about how to stay out of debt. And that would be good, right? And we've talked about that. We, we could talk about how to, to, go, how to, not, go, to not go bankrupt. And, and certainly that's an area that you know, would be one of those areas where culture tends to bait us toward the edge and then shame us when we fall over it right? But what we want to talk about today is really a lot deeper than those areas. Because the truth is, you could have lots and lots of money and still be in the ditch financially. Maybe that's a surprise to you. According to Jesus, you could have plenty in the bank with cars paid off. The student debts all paid off and even have paid for your house. You could have no debt and, and have, have plenty in the bank and still not be well off financially. To Jesus, to be good financially doesn't mean what we think being good financially means. So let's jump into this, okay? Matthew chapter 6 uh, this is right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. You know, and, and in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about money. These are the kingdom rules. These are, these are the rules for understanding how Christ works in his kingdom. And if you want to come along in his kingdom, this is, this is Jesus saying, okay, you've heard the Old Testament rules. I'm going to step it up, okay? This is kingdom rules, guardrails. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, no one, can, no one can serve two 
masters. The Greek word for here, for master, is, is curious. Like literally, it's curios, okay? One who is in charge by virtue of possession or ownership. That's what curios, this word lord, this word master, means. It gives us this image when it says no one can serve two masters. It gives us image of, of a soldier that is wanting to, to serve two kings. And that doesn't work out real well. He says you can't serve two masters. You can't do that. That doesn't work out. Jesus goes on to say either you will hate the one and love the other or you will despise the one and be devoted to the other. Maybe, maybe you say, you know, that's really interesting, but I don't even have one master. <laughs> To which I want to remind you of where we were last week. Remember where we were last week? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God. Right? We do have a, we do have a master. And so, so maybe we, we say, okay, okay, I get that. So Jesus is saying you can't serve two masters. You, you're, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve Satan. You can't do that at the same time. And, and it would make sense that we would go down that, that road and kind of expect that Jesus would say you can't serve God and Satan. But that's not what he says, is it? That's not how he completes this thought. Instead, he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. Or the the Greek word there is mammon, which means it could be money, it could be wealth, it could be stuff. Just material things. For Jesus, the primary issue when it comes to money is not the money, it's mastery. It's control, it's ownership. The question that Jesus wants us to consider is, do we have money or does money have us? Do we master money or does money master us? Do we own it or does it own us? Do we possess and use it or does it possess and use us? And the reason that that Christ followers need guardrails in regards to money is because money and what it promises, hear this, is a chief competitor for your heart. It's true, isn't it? Money and what it promises is a chief competitor for your heart. You, You may never go bankrupt. You may never have overwhelming credit card debt. You you may be so good with money that you could invest other people's money and help them make lots of money. You could teach classes on how to make money. But without financial guardrails, you will either wreck on this cliff of consumption or into the wall called hoarding. One is unbridled desire. Just consume, consume, consume. I want it, I get it, I see you have it, I'll upgrade too. The other is unbridled fear. What if I don't have enough? What if the market crashes? What if I decide later that I want it and I don't have the money to buy it? 
And the root cause for both of these is an attribute that we don't like to talk about and we normally can't see within ourselves. It's an attribute called greed, <laughs> right? Greed. And here's, here's Andy Stanley's definition of greed. This is beautiful, I think. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is this assumption that it's all for my consumption. Now, when we think of greed, we oftentimes think of the, the miserly old Scrooge guy in his basement with all of his gold, you know, who hates people and they hate him. And we think we'll never be that person. But this definition, and I believe it's true, says that's not what greed is. Greed is simply an assumption. It's an assumption that it's all for, for me. It's all for me. Greed is this, this assumption that, that if I get something, it's for me. If I get a check with my name on it, it's for me. If it shows up in my retirement account, it's for me. If I get a bonus, it's for me. If I get an inheritance, it's for me. I was preparing this sermon, and just yesterday I got a check in the mail that I realized was, was a check that I had been paid twice. I went and checked that out. And you know what the first thought was? It's got my name on it, Right? Right? I mean, that's a first thought, maybe. The assumption that it's, well, it's got my name on it. It's for my consumption. We hear this, and maybe we don't apply it to ourselves, but we need to. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Consume now, consumption, or consume later. <laughs> that's hoarding. But either side, it's for me. And here's, here's the tragedy. If you live that way, you're living as if there is no God. You're living as if all there is to life is what is in this life. Even if you aren't a Christian, if you have any suspicion that there is more to this life than just to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die... If you have any suspicion that there is more than this life, you need to understand if you are living to consume or to hoard, you are living as if there is no God. Is this making sense? It's about me now. Or it's about me later. But what happens when trouble comes along? What happens when, when we buy too much house or we lease too much car or we have too many loans or we've got more going out than what we've got coming in? What happens when all that happens? And, and maybe it's not trouble that you caused. Maybe it's trouble that others caused. Maybe, maybe you were laid off from a job. Maybe the cost of living goes up. Maybe it, it had nothing to do with your choices, but you find yourself in this financial pinch do you know what we typically do? Whether you are, are religious or not very religious, you know what we typically do? Strange thing. We pray. <laughs> we say, God, help me. 
right? God, I, I'm in this pinch. Maybe it's a, a nervous prayer as you're writing out the, the check, you know, to pay the bill, and you're thinking, I'm not sure that I got that much in the bank. Or maybe it's just flat on on the floor with your, your nose to the ground saying, God, help me, I'm overwhelmed, and I don't know how to get out of this. We pray. And you know what we are saying when we pray that prayer when we are in financial trouble? God, I'd like to invite you into my finances. God, I'd like for you to to help me know the wise thing to do here in regard to my finances. God, here's my problem in case you didn't know, right? I lost my job. (laughs) Help me. I need money to pay for college, and I, I don't have that. Help me. It's an invitation to God to get involved with your money. And it's recognizing that we need God to be the master over that which has had mastery over us. But consider this. If we will pray when trouble comes financially... Why wouldn't we pray before trouble comes, pro, trouble comes financially? Why not invite him to be the Lord of your finances now rather than later when you've got a problem? So we have this guardrail. Maybe we need a guardrail against greed. And I I want to just offer you one guardrail today, okay? Just one guardrail today. The way you set yourself up for success in this area of finances, whether you have a lot of money or a little money, the guardrail against greed is reprioritizing your finances. Okay? Okay? If you're living like most people, you're living this way. You live, you save, you give. That means you, this is first priority. You know, it's, it's all for me. It's, 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 I get whatever I want to get. I'm, I'm living, you know, and, and then if I, if I have like a, a little bit left over or, or perhaps it's just if my company provides something, then, you know, for retirement, I'll save and then if I have anything left over after that and I'm feeling uh, really good ab- about myself or feeling very guilty about what I'm doing with my money, feeling very sorry for somebody else, if I have money left over, I'll, I'll give. That's how most people live. You live first, you save, and then you give. It's me, me, others if I have anything left. That's how most people live. And I I totally get this is our culture. If If you're living this way, though, then you are mastered by money because you are living like there's nothing else except this life. You're living as though God has no interest or no idea about what on in your life financially. And this is how most people live. 
They live, then they save, and then they give. And Jesus says, if you want me to be in charge of your finances, the master of your money, then you need to do things differently. And what he actually says is you need to flip this over in prioritizing. This is how you master your money. You give, you save, and then you live on what is left. You prioritize giving. You prioritize saving so that you don't get into trouble. And then you live on what is left. Those are some good guardrails there, right? Do we, do, do we get that, though? And I totally get it. Let me, and I've said it already. Let me say it again. When the preacher starts talking about money, there are those who think there's a selfish agenda, you know? Uh, he, wants, he wants more, or he wants his church to have more. He, there's a competition between his church and another church. Or something crazy like that. This is not it, okay? This is a spiritual issue. It totally is a spiritual issue. Because we see the competition that money has with God. Don't serve, don't try to serve two masters. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he continued, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. You know, these things are probably things that maybe we worry a little bit about, but those people in that day probably worried about them a whole lot more than we do today, especially in the U.S., where we have running water. We have something to drink, right? We have refrigeration. We have something to eat. We have a closet full of nothing to wear in the United States, right? That's us. But Jesus says to them and us, I know your inclination is to worry about these things all the time, but I don't want you to live as if there is no God. I want you to know that there is a God who knows what you need. If you, if you worry this way, if you live this way, you will end up living your life with closed hands and a closed heart. It will all be about yourself. Consuming, hoarding keeping everything that you get today because of what might happen tomorrow. And besides that, Jesus says, for the pagans run after all these things. You'd expect pagans to run after all of these things because the pagans, they serve, if they serve a God at all, it's a God that is not interested in humanity. They're not interested. They, they play humanity for sport, Right? Gods are, are the, the pagan gods are not about loving humanity. They're about how do we use them for our purposes. He says, the pagans run after all these things. Not so with you. Your God is not like the gods of the pagan nations. You can expect that of others. You can't expect that of your heavenly father. Your heavenly Father knows. 
your heavenly Father. Not like the pagan gods, your heavenly Father who loves you. He knows that you need these things. Do you really believe that? Jesus said it. Do you really, do I really believe that? That our heavenly Father knows what we need. But, he said, he says, instead of worrying, instead of hoarding, instead of consuming, instead of running after all of these things, Jesus says, since your heavenly Father knows what you need, seek first. That is, prioritize, right? Don't get it out of order. Reorder things. But seek first his kingdom. We're talking about God's kingdom and his righteousness. And God's kingdom is an other's first kingdom. Jesus taught that God's righteousness, living in in right relationship with God, is living in right relationship with others. Right? It's seeking what God calls good and the good of others ahead of trying to get ahead. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness will mean that I'm not trying to be first. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to invite me into your finances, it's going to be a finance plan of others first. This is a hard teaching, isn't it? One day Jesus was walking along with his disciples and there was this conversation that was happening, I imagine, behind him. And the conversation as it was going, these 12 disciples are arguing over when Jesus comes into his kingdom, who's going to be the top two? Who's going to be on his right? Who's going to be on his left? And I just kind of imagine that, that Jesus overhears this conversation and turns around and says, guys, have you missed it? And he, and he takes this teachable moment. We see this in Mark chapter 10. He says this, you know that those who, re, who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles over all the other nations lorded over them. They, they use their power selfishly. And their high officials do the same thing. They abuse their power and they exercise authority over them. You know how it works in the world. And, and these guys are probably saying, yeah, we know how it works in the world. That's why we're wanting these two positions. And Jesus says, not so with you. My kingdom is not that way. Not so with you. Not so with you. (laughs) Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. If you want to be first, Jesus says, then you got to take the, the, the position at the end of the line because that's what it means to be first in my kingdom. And then he goes on. And he says, for even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, right? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
If you want to follow me, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciples, then get to the back of the line because that's where I'm going. And he says this, and then what does he do? He continues on to Jerusalem, to the cross. He was about to do for the whole world what he was asking the whole world to do for one another. His act of selflessness changed the world, did it not? His act of selflessness changed the world, and it can change the world again. Our acts of selflessness can change the world. So, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. His kingdom is an other's first kingdom. When your finances demonstrate an, an attitude of others first, you evidence your desire to be about his kingdom first, right? And the result is God will take care of you. He knows what you need. The way that you make sure that you have money and money doesn't have you are guardrails. Give, then save, then live. 